0: Good afternoon. Welcome to the weekly edition of The Wrap. I'm Travis Spain, state government reporter for WRAL. And I'm Brian Anderson, also a state government reporter for WRAL. Yeah, and this could have been a slow week. Uh, turned out not to be a slow week. Uh, the big news uh, this week, I think, bigger than anything else, was that Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, a Republican who has railed against abortion rights, uh, we learned that he in fact paid for an abortion in 1989. He would have been about 21 years old there. Uh, it was revealed in a Facebook comment, a couple of Facebook comments actually, years ago, uh, but just didn't come to light until uh, until this week. Uh, Brian, you read a little bit about that this week. Tell us, t- t- tell us a bit more about this.
1: Yeah. So I talked with Mark Robinson, and he said this is something he's been wanting to speak to for years, and. He posted publicly a Facebook comment in August and September of 2012 that he had paid for an abortion for, as he puts it, an unborn child of his back in 1989. And then after our reporting, he had put out a video statement that really spoke to it. And he had his wife, Yolanda, sitting next to him. She didn't speak during the video, but Robinson had explained that they were not married yet, they had not had kids yet, and they made what he considered to be a very tough decision and now looks back on it with a mistake, says this has fueled my belief that we need to protect the unborn children and this has reaffirmed his views on abortion, but critics say it's inconsistent and you shouldn't be
0: able to force your views onto me. Yeah, and abortion is such a difficult topic because it is such a difficult decision for the people who have to make it. And there's, a, there's got to be a pain to it that I don't want to gloss over here, but we, we are going to kind of talk about the politics of it here. I, I think both things can be true. One, that this is hypocritical, that he is attempting to pull up the ladder after himself by opposing abortion rights for others when, when he and his wife took advantage of them. But what can also be true is, you know, kind of a road to Damascus conversion here, where uh, someone with experience with something is now against it. I mean, it it was how long ago was 1989? Um, Were you alive in 1989? I I was alive in 1995,
1: and only barely because that was December. So So there you go. It was 33 years ago, Robinson's comment, and I, I confess I'm the Madison Cawthorn and Bo Hines age of 26.
0: <laughs> so, hey, you know, obviously we've got to, to leave room for people to change, but like I said, both things can be true, right? The, to be so outspoken against abortion rights for others when, when you yourself have done this, uh, I, I certainly can see why people are angry about that. On the Republican side, I haven't seen a ton of response. I saw Dan Bishop Uh, tweet his support for Robinson. Um, There have been a few others like that. I don't think this is going to particularly hurt him politically, uh, but there are probably other takes on that.
1: Yeah, and um, we had reached out to the North Carolina Republican Party and they said, we declined to comment. We consider it a personal matter for Robinson. And we heard from Dan Bishop say, it's refreshing that someone has been this open and transparent, albeit we had an election in 2020. Robinson could have talked about this on the campaign trail and, and didn't, but it was a p- public Facebook comment in 2012 that anyone presumably could have seen and had access to. Uh, but I'm left with this thinking: you know, people are complicated. Uh, Robinson, it could it could be in some ways a paradox in, 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 in some ways. And I think this really points at just how messy. The impersonal this issue is for folks, and how you know it's it's very complicated that your personal life and your public life can seemingly be different
0: yeah I, I, you opened yourself up to being called a hypocrite when your personal and public lives are i mean if you're if you're saying that people can't do something but you yourself have done it, you know that is particularly when he is so vociferous about it. But uh, like I said, I, I I don't see this really changing the political math much, uh, if at all. Maybe there are some conversations going on in the background, uh, groups that uh, really push back against abortion, who will not want to support him uh, further. But I kind of doubt that. I kind of, I, I suspect this is more of a uh there's no zealot like the converted uh is is, has always been a saying and i i think that's probably the road that we're looking to hear I, i do want to mention briefly what a vetting fail this was um i covered this election in 2020 i didn't know this uh i will kind of give myself and other reporters on the political beat in 2020 a pass that we were also trying to cover a pandemic in an election. That was not easy. Uh, but, you know, Yvonne Hawley's lieutenant governor campaign, Democrats in general, uh, to fail to have noticed that he publicly revealed that he had paid for an abortion, I suspect, uh, particularly if timed well, that information would have been uh, had some impact on the lieutenant governor's race in 2020. It's, it's astounding in this day and age uh, that it didn't come out.
1: Well, I will say he had a very crowded primary field as well. So it's not just the Democrats that could have found this information. There's several Republicans he was running against. And he really pummeled all of them (laughs) in that that primary race. And 2018 was sort of his claim to fame with the gun rights speech in in Greensboro. And since then, he's had this meteoric rise in conservative politics. And I would point out, the North Carolina Faith and Freedom Coalition Did sort of express some support for Robinson and his remarks uh, after his video was published and they're a group that is conservative religious works to elect conservative religious Republicans, but I, I will also caveat that this was not a Facebook post. This was a Facebook comment. And I generally think maybe some people would look for Facebook posts, but not dig through every single comment and I don't know how, how there's enough time in the world to sift through everything Mark Robinson said on social media, that would be quite the
0: endeavor. That is the truth, that is the truth. Uh, moving on, uh, Leandro back in uh, the news, uh, the long running court case seeking to increase education funding for K through 12 schools in North Carolina. Uh, we got a new judge who's gonna be overseeing it, Michael Robinson, uh, business court judge and a Republican replaces David Lee. Uh, who is a Democrat. That was uh, Supreme Court Chief Justice Paul Newby's decision. A uh, number of people noting, of course, that Newby is a Republican. Republicans don't really like what uh, Judge Lee did with this case. Now there's a new judge on it. Uh, this new judge will take 30 days, I believe, to assess Lee's order, ordering uh, $1.7 billion in increased education spending and kind of comparing that to the state budget the past couple of months ago, a few months ago, and how much of a bite out of that 1.7 billion the state budget uh, uh, took, and then there'll be a hearing April 13th is where this is going, and then eventually back up I think to the Supreme Court to decide whether or not the court can or will order the state legislature to spend more money on education in North Carolina.
1: And take a moment to pause that this judge said he found out about it just like everybody else found out about it, and it came from Chief Justice Paul Newby, uh, who's a Republican Chief Justice of the state Supreme Court. So there might be some some partisan politics or just politics at at play. And this sort of speaks to the growing partisanship, or at least perception of partisanship, that's really been here in North Carolina, especially the past 12 months with redistricting, and now Leandro. the notion of an independent judiciary is certainly drawing some, some eyebrows from, from both sides who don't see it that way.
0: Yeah, when, when case after case has such big political ramifications, it's hard to, to get away from the politics uh, of the court. Uh, you wrote this week also about, uh, you kind of broke down the Senate Republican primary. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and what? Uh, what you found and what's kind of new and interesting there. I liken it to the movie Burn After Reading, where it's just a a big,
1: giant mess, (laughs) the Republican primary here for U.S. Senate is. And I I think you have four leading candidates, Marjorie K. Eastman, a former former Army combat veteran she is, and then you have former North Carolina governor, Pat McCrory, who's one for three in statewide elections. He won in 2012. He lost in 2008 and 2016 to Bev Perdue and Roy Cooper. Uh, And then you also have the Trump wing, which is uh, former Congressman Mark Walker. And you also have current US Congressman Ted Budd. Ted Budd has the Trump endorsement, Walker does not. And in the process of speaking with these four candidates, we learned that Budd and Walker don't seem to get along too well. Uh, According to Walker, he said that he met with Bud in December of 2019 in the Longworth building in DC. And he came away from that meeting thinking they had an understanding that, you know, Bud would stay in the US House and Walker would make the leap to US Senate. Bud said he's shocked and surprised to have heard that. He agrees that they did discuss uh, the possibility of avoiding a contested congressional primary election, but he did not come away from that meeting with any sort of understanding being reached and said he took, quote, exquisite notes of that conversation, which I asked for, but he wouldn't provide because he said he wanted to respect the private conversations of a former colleague of his.
0: Yeah, there are two things I love about that story. One, the idea that these guys so trust each other that one of them took exquisite notes about this conversation they had. And the other being Walker, uh, like well uh, you know I tell you what what you go ahead and you run for that house seat I'll let you do that and I'll just run for this little old United States Senate seat over here and almost like he's doing but a favor obviously I wasn't in the meeting don't know the tone but uh, that is kind of hilarious to me this idea of uh, uh, almost like you're doing somebody a favor by running for the. US Senate I, I there, there is no love lost pretty much anywhere in this race. I mean, I I don't think anybody dislikes Marjorie Eastman, but other than that, like there are people who hate McCrory, there are people who hate Mark Walker. I think there are a lot of people who look at Bud and just like, ah, yeah, it's Ted Budd. But I was a little surprised uh, how wide the gulf seemed to be between Bud and Walker particularly.
1: And let's be clear, tensions between candidates is not an unusual thing in a primary. Revealing of of, of these private conversations and airing them out in public, that's a little bit unusual to me. Uh, And One thing that I found interesting talking with Walker as well is he said he met with Trump in Mar-a-Lago where he was seated next to Club for Growth action president David McIntosh and Donald Trump was there. And they had both tried to, as Walker puts it, push him out of the Senate race to make room for Bud and he would run for Congress. Obviously Walker did not do that, especially because these congressional maps were still working their way through the court system. So he thought it wise not to make that move until we had a finalized map. And so ultimately he decided to stay in the US Senate race. There wasn't really a viable home for him in the newly enacted congressional map. And this speaks to some of the tension as well, where you're having Bud's backers trying to push Walker out of this race. And if you ask Bud, he still considers himself the favorite in that that Trump lane. Uh, his own polling has McCrory as a slim front runner. So it's just an interesting race. And McCrory is really trying to campaign as I'm the one to return us to this Reagan era style of politics of cordiality. Uh, and that's what he's campaigning on and Marjorie K. Eastman is campaigning on. We have two choices, really politicians and me. So she's trying to brand herself as the outsider and you need 30% to win the primary. So even if Eastman doesn't have much of a chance of winning, she could still
0: affect this race. Yeah. And I mean, you, you mentioned club for growth. What, what is it they've promised to put in for, for about 10 million bucks, something like that? Yeah, they initially
1: said we're going to make a $10 million spend on Bud to boost him throughout the primary cycle. They've already spent $4 million as of a few months ago, and they just said we're going to spend an additional $10 million between now and the May 17th primary, which boosts that spending from $10 million total to $14 million total. And you know that, that can also be a sign of hardship for Bud getting his messaging out. They say that if we inform voters of the Trump endorsement and then get to talking about Bud's policies that the voters like him, but a challenge has been the Supreme Court in North Carolina pushed the election back by 10 weeks, and as the Club for Growth president put it to me, the group and Bud's campaign went dark during this period of of really a couple months, and that's what has
0: stalled their momentum a little bit. Well, I mean, if you've only got 10 to $14 million to spend, Brian, you can't just be spending it all the time. I mean, come on.
1: <laughs> well, we were um, talking earlier, Travis, we had a meeting and, and uh, I thought we had come to a, an understanding that I would get $14 million to, to be on this show, but I guess that's not the case.
0: No, our budget is significantly lower. Um, Two things. One, the election is not as far away as people may think. Absentee ballots will start going out in the mail next week. So and and then I believe I'd, I'd have to look it up again, but I think early voting starts April 28th. Uh, early in-person bonus a month from now, give or take. Uh, I also want to mention that some other spending other than Club for, for Growth. The, the Conservative Outsiders Pack, and I can't remember the guy's name who's funding this. It begins with a U. Maybe you remember it. Uh, but they did a $1 million buy against McCrory. So there's a new ad uh, that you'll see from Copac, Conservative Outsiders Pack, uh, that'll be running in North Carolina, uh, hitting McCrory. I would know, is that Richard Whalen maybe,
1: perhaps? I know he was the biggest donor of of Club for Growth and it's worth noting he is uh, sort of the the co-founder of this large packing company based in Atlanta. He's a wealthy, wealthy man and much of Club for Growth's money has come from billionaires and uh, Richard Whalen, he is the biggest donor to Club for Growth. So he's playing an outsized role in North
0: Carolina politics Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, I don't think that I I can't remember. So I, I I should I shouldn't have set something up that I don't remember. <laughs> I do remember, how's that for a segue? That <laughs> Donald Trump is coming to our area. He'll be in Johnston County April 9th? Ninth. Yep, Saturday to the ninth. Saturday, April 9th, about five weeks before the election. Uh, it's uh, of course he'll be talking about Ted Budd, but it's right in Bo Hines. Uh, neck of the woods. Uh, Bo Hines, a uh, young man run for Congress in the 13th Congressional District. I believe there are eight Republicans in that race. I would think this would be a big boost for Hines.
1: Yeah, I would say that Hines is, uh, a, a got. he's got the Trump endorsement, Bud has the Trump endorsement, and in Trump's news release announcing this April 9th event, he had said that he's going to sort of tout his his endorsements in the race, To which I said, what what are the multiple congressional endorsements? I'm only aware of one so far, so stay tuned between now and April 9th, I guess, as we could see Trump even be more active in these primaries, potentially.
0: Well, and if you can just imagine the conga line of people trying to get in his ear or in his people's ear between now and when he takes the stage, April 9th, uh, good luck to the people who have to manage that process because people will be crawling all over each other. Um, Real quickly, I want to mention uh, the Kintanji Brown Jackson hearings. I I, I knew I was going to trip over that name Uh, to uh, put her on the the United States Supreme Court. Just quickly, I'll mention that Senator Tom Tillis is on the Judiciary Committee, so of course he took part uh, in the Judiciary Committee's hearings uh, questioning uh, Judge Jackson. Tillis spent a lot of his time decrying the potential end for the filibuster. He had a lot of kind words. Uh, for the judge, although I saw Politico said he's probably not a yes vote, probably not one of the few Republicans who might cross the line here and vote for her. Uh, They even went so far as to publish a piece specifically explaining why they didn't include Tillis in that group, including that he voted against her when she was confirmed to the D.C. Court of Appeals, which was just a year, I mean it was less than a year ago that she moved up to the the Court of Appeals. Uh, Our other Senator uh, Richard Burr He was mentioned uh, as a potential Republican vote to confirm by Politico. He's meeting with her next week. He said, uh, told Politico he didn't watch any of the confirmation hearings due to his day job, which I thought was United States Senator. I don't know why. Retiring United States Senator. He's in the process of retiring. Um, but I mean, worth noting, Burr also voted against her uh, to the D.C. Circuit last year. I don't know what would change in less than a year there. Uh, but obviously, that very, very big national story, as everything else does, has a North Carolina angle. Um, voter ID, that was back before the Supreme Court. Our voter ID law, the law itself wasn't before the Supreme Court. But on Monday, U- the court- U.S. Supreme Court, too, right, Travis? That U.S. Supreme Court, I mean, yes, it, it, our, our, it wasn't the law, it was who will defend the law in court as a new, fe- new a two year old federal lawsuit uh, gets geared up back here in North Carolina. Uh, the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, will have to decide whether or not to let uh, Phil Berger uh, and Tim Moore, our Republican leadership in the General Assembly, kind of take over, take a leading role in that defense, or whether Attorney General Josh Stein, worth noting, a Democrat. Uh, we'll continue to handle it as the normal per attorney representing the state board of elections in this. Republicans feel like Stein uh, will not, has not given a vigorous enough defense, uh, although he's been successful defending the law so far uh, in this case. And no real evidence has been presented uh, other than kind of he's a Democrat and we, we don't trust him, which you know, not the first time we've heard something like that.
1: And I will point out on, on the note of, of the Supreme Court, this is the first Black woman to be onto the U.S. Supreme Court if she's she's appointed. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin signaled today, we're recording on a Friday, that he would support her. So that seems to clinch the nomination in, in some ways. Um, so just one, take a moment to note, you know, this is a historic moment as well, and we can get lost in the day-to-day drama, but this is certainly something that That
0: is noticeable and
1: going to have an impact for future generations.
0: That's right, absolutely. I'll mention very briefly uh, the case we've talked about a little bit, trying to keep Madison Cawthorn off the ballot here in North Carolina, have him labeled as an insurrectionist for his role in the January 6th uh, attacks on the Capitol and basically say, hey, the 14th Amendment bars insurrectionists from being members of Congress and you can't run. Uh, that's a state-level challenge. There is a federal-level challenge that Cawthorne himself filed uh, to try to block the state from doing that. And I tell you all that to tell you this, uh, Cawthorn's legal team filed with the court today, Friday, asking for attorney fees because it's won so far at the federal level. And this is not over, but it's won so far. $147,000. Those are some is, great attorneys in a very short period of time. That case is less than two months old, yeah. And so you know, we talk about, Justice and the access to justice in this country—that is a lot of money that it takes to, I think, in Callthorn's words, to protect your First Amendment rights, your right to be on the ballot here. Um, that's all I've got for this week. I got a couple of things I'll mention that are happening next week, Brian. You got anything else? Looking back. I just note that
1: uh, I'll I'll pin to my Twitter account that U.S. Senate story. I think it's a a good overview of the state of the race. And my handle is just Brian R. Anderson, Brian with a Y.
0: Yeah, Brian had interviews with all four major candidates in that race. And uh, so go check it out. Uh, Very quickly, next week, Tuesday, the Medicaid Expansion Committee at the General Assembly meets. Check my text messages. Do I know what that meeting is about? I do not Uh, but that is a committee that has been looking at whether or not we might expand Medicaid. In North Carolina, they've been doing various things have been meeting for several uh, weeks now. Don't know exactly what they're gonna talk about, but generally healthcare. Uh, And as I noted earlier, absentee ballots, check your mailbox If if you've requested one as soon as next week, you might be seeing it in your mail, probably along with some campaign flyers. So tis the season.
1: Yep. Beware of your mailbox. It's going to be flooded.
0: Yep. All right. I think that's enough for us. I hope everybody has a wonderful weekend. If you're listening to this on the weekend and uh, check us back next week, we'll get you caught up here on The Wrap.